Welcome to today's episode, Zeusing the Numbers, your statistics and sports podcast. I am your host, Joshua Tracy. And I am Corbin Heller. And welcome to another edition of Finding Shit About Sports to Talk About During Quarantine. Corwin, are you ready to talk about sports and sports-related nonsense? Why, yes, yes, I am. Excellent. Um, in the world of sports news, outside of um, some NFL storylines I know that we wanted to talk about, there really still isn't much. I know that there has been chatter on Twitter about baseball possibly looking at um, a mid-June reopening for spring training ahead of a July 1st opening day expectation that has not been made anywhere near official but has been discussed um, again with the concept of no fans in the ballpark still holding true Um, have you heard about this and uh, what are your thoughts Uh, I've heard it I really haven't put much stock into it because I just don't think that's going to happen I think Early July as an opening day is not exactly uh, feasible at this point, um, just because I, I don't think teams are going to be able to have enough time. Even even if we did start spring training mid-June, I don't think two weeks, three weeks would be nearly enough time to get these guys hopefully up to speed and not necessarily into shape, but I just... I don't know. I I just don't see this timeline being feasible at this point. Um, I'd love to have July 1st uh, opening day, but I just, I don't believe it, man. I don't believe it yet. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, if I told you, hey, Corin, don't ask any questions. Baseball starts tomorrow. And it'll all be, it'll all be great. I bet we'd both be like, oh, super cool. Awesome. Yeah. Can't wait to watch. Uh, at the same time, though, like this got a lot of questions behind it, and it's not just as easy as like, all right, well, you know, each dugout has twenty six people, and uh, that's not that many, you know. They'll, they'll just test all all twenty six of them on both sides, all fifty two of them will be good. Well, then you have um, the coach and the training staffs and the managers and the umpires, and the umpires are going to be visiting between every team, and you have these players. Um, families what do they do do they just stay home and have zero physical contact in person contact with their spouses while the course of the season goes on that's a long ass time what do you do about minor league call-ups if someone gets hurt you know ascending up and sending down between minor league systems because if you want to go with the minor league teams and then like just triple a has another 20 some odd dudes and then you also sometimes pull dudes out of double a so there's also another 20 some odd dudes down there now we've gone from 26 to well over 50 Mm-hmm. Per team, not counting fa- players' families, how do you plan the travel schedule? What about all the other professional people that baseball personnel are supposed to typically be in contact with? GMs, front office members, uh, their own personal management and agents. Like It's a lot of people mm-hmm. that interact physically on a day-to-day basis that just can't not be present and can't not be accounted for. And if you take away, like you're saying, Two weeks, three weeks for a spring training? That is not a long spring training. No. God, no. I mean, regular, regular spring training already is like a month, maybe like a month and a half. It's a long time. You can't just do it in two and a half, three weeks. It's 
So, but even if you leave that to the side, there's just still so many questions about how this would work. And my biggest one would be, all right, you know, let's make certain assumptions. Let's assume every major league player has been tested. All of them. Every major league was on the 25 man roster last year, uh, tested, cleared, and in a uh, contained environment. What do you do when someone gets hurt? Yeah. What do you What do you do when your uh, your front end relief pitcher, who's barely on the team, sucks up a whole bag of dicks in the first two weeks, and you want to send him down? Like you have call ups. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. How do you handle that? So, like, are we expecting the teams to, like, take a select reserve of players? How many players do they get? What happens if, Lord forbid, like, every team's catcher or, like, or like, like the, the Mets run through four catchers in, a, in, in the span of a month because the injury bug just caught that position. And all of a sudden, they're out of not only their starting, the catchers that were on their starting roster, but also the reserve catchers that they brought. Like, what do they do then? Like, it, it's... It might be like overly cautious or overly uh, paranoid on my end to think about it, but like at the same time, like that has to be a real concern, you know. Somewhere down the line, weird shit happens. Mike Ford played for the Yankees last year, who was not high on the depth chart at all because the Yankees plowed through first baseman because they just they they just kept getting hurt. I really do feel like they are in a state of assuming things are going to be able to get back to quote-unquote normal by the time they actually open up. And while they know they're going to have to take certain precautions, I feel like they just think things will work out. And I just, I don't know how you could look at that and be like, at this entire situation and feel like it's feasible in any way. It's, don't get me wrong, it's possible. There is always that possibility that this could work out well enough to have baseball this year, but it's just not feasible. No, I if just, I, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, it's it's just I don't know how, like from a business perspective, they think they're going to be able to do this and make money. I don't know. Well, I guess they they probably would be likely to make some level of money just by virtue of the fact that people are going to be desperate for sports content whenever they come back. But I'm not sure how much that's going to be because chances are ticket sales are going to plummet. So we'll really find out what the value of going to a baseball game is. But if I was the MLB, because they're definitely in, ah, they're definitely in the hardest spot. I'll say financially this year because. The NFL so far hasn't truly been impacted in a meaningful way. The NHL and the NBA are both... Huh? Yeah, oh, true. Yeah, true. Um, the NHL and the NBA are both going to be impacted as a result of championship stakes. You know, like who was playing really well, who was likely to get there, um, and they're going to miss that television revenue. But the NBA and NHL both have revenue to show for the 2019-2020 season to at least some level of reduced extent, whereas right now the MLB's entire season's revenue is in jeopardy outside of what they made doing spring training, which really probably isn't very much. Most of those games aren't even televised. So I understand why they want to have baseball back to a degree. Now, the way I think um, I would do it instead of issuing hardline dates is I would say, all right, this is our plan. 
if the world opens back up. And here's how it adjusts the later into the year that gets, you know? So like if I was baseball, I'd be like, we're going to have, I don't know, let's say it's three weeks of spring training just to make it short. We're going to have three weeks of spring training whenever, um, two weeks after the nation opens back up is so five weeks out after the nation opening back up, um, will be opening day whenever that is. I don't, don't give it dates. That's going to make it weird. And honestly, if you give yourself five weeks, you probably have enough time there to figure out dates and logistics in of itself because the stadiums are all still going to be there or whatever stadium you're going to use it in is going to be there. And you pick that too. And then you say to your, you say uh, games, the number of games played will be determined based on how much of the season we have, how much of the standardized normal, what you think of as baseball season remaining we have left. And you could say that it's going to also play to the same scale how many uh, postseason series you have. You know, if we get back between um, July 1st and July 15th, we'll have a whole postseason series. Um, or if we get back between July 15th and August 1st, we'll only have the uh, LCS and the World Series or some shit. You know, you introduce introduce a concept for what you're looking for. But keep it vague, because if you make specific plans, you will get fucked. Like, this is not going to go however you want it to happen. Even in your worst case scenario, you're still going to get fucked. Don't even try. And pre- very much so prepare for the very likely uh, option that there is zero baseball this year. Yeah, I mean, if I had to put money on it, I would... I don't want to put money on the fact that there won't be baseball this year, but... I think at some point they're going to have to make that decision. And I'd say it's more likely than having an actual season. Well, it's like, let me ask you, because I've been, I've been thinking about this a lot relatively recently, and I I would like to hear your opinion too. Mm -hmm. So if, if the world's opened back up uh, in time for, let's say an August 1st season start. So you get like two months of what would have been baseball season, you know, August and September. And then, um, I don't know, let's say, let's say they even push it all the way October for a regular season. Would, would mm-hmm. you, I don't know, I mean, I definitely watch it, but let's, all right, I'll, I'll put it to you this way. Let's say the, the Indians won the World Series this year, playing three months of regular season baseball, and then a very abbreviated postseason um, in November. Would you feel good about it? No. I, I honestly don't know how they would be able to have this be a, I don't want to say real season, but something where I feel like this would have to almost be a, what, what am I trying to say? Like a, an exhibition season. Yeah, like that's, a, that's my exact feeling too. Full on asterisks, just like, hey, this is this is just a season where we're playing for fun, for the love of the game, to have something to do. I I just can't see us having an actual honest to god postseason and world series champion and be like this is this is right this is how it's supposed to be um this is just as good of a season as you know last year two years ago not 3 years ago because cheaters but you know what I mean yeah it, it's going to be tough either way and it's also going to be tough because as much as like I would I would almost from a fan perspective probably prefer if 
if there was to be a semblance of normal style of baseball played, I'd almost prefer it if they treated them all like not necessarily exhibition exhibition games, but a little bit more lighthearted. Maybe they go play in places they don't usually play. Like let's go play in Omaha, um, or you know, let's go play in like upstate New York or some shit like that. Um, and just try to like geographically grow the game of baseball, even though you really ah, you really can't have fans visit though. That's the other tough part. But the, anyway, the the problem being is that owners want money and that comes in large part from winning championships and players are going to want accolades like mvp and cy young and again those are things that come from playing actual games and it's it's going to be tough as like a battle between gee how much do i care about this season like fully counting as a season and how does what does this mean for this year financially and uh performance wise for these players and owners and coaches and all that uh i just had one of the greatest ideas i think i've ever had in my entire life Uh, i'm a big guy so you're familiar with how the world cup for soccer works right there's different uh groups and they play in the group stage whoever gets the most points out of that stage goes on and then you have a, a regular essentially playoff style tournament right yeah. Why not just do that with baseball? Not have a regular season per se, but just have it where each division plays, you know, a series against each other each. Whoever gets the most points, however they do the point system out of that, goes on to the quote unquote playoffs. And then that's how we determine the World Series winner. Just straight up full on postseason baseball. You could do it in, you know, probably two months. I don't know, how many teams are in each division? No, you're right. Five? You're right. Yeah, five teams per division. So, uh, I don't know. You could probably do the group stage in a month, four weeks, where you know you have an off day or two in between each series, whatever it may be, an off day afterwards, and then you know you could knock out. Oh, I don't know what it would be, but probably three maybe four stages of a playoff how are they set it up with you know a week at a time and there you go two months and you have yourselves honest to god baseball season well so yeah i know those is we're gonna get uh so if you i'll i'm I'm not sure if this is the, the same but i'm gonna put it to you like this if you played a three game series against every team in baseball Mm -hmm. um that is 87 games and if you played one game every day uh that's 12.4 weeks so it's just a little little over three months which would fit the time frame that we kind of just made up on the fly previously which could possibly work and i'm very willing to bet we'd probably get a decent chunk of double headers Mm -hmm. um this season just to kind of cram as much baseball into the calendar year as possible and then from there if you do an abbreviated postseason you almost you get something that at least feels better. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'm all for that. I think that's a tremendous idea, like I said. And uh, we should call up <laughs> Rob Manfred and uh, get his thoughts. Point being, they're definitely going to have to be creative this year. That's for damn sure. Oh, yeah. It's going to yeah. be intriguing, to say the least. Super weird. Uh, yeah. Anyway, that's all I really had for uh, for that. Uh, what are, what are some of the uh, the football things you've been seeing roaming around recently? 
Uh, Larry Warford, Warford was released by the Saints. Uh, if you don't know who that player is, he is a right guard, left guard, right guard, I believe, uh, for the Saints, and was in the Pro Bowl each of the last three seasons. Um, this was uh, probably one of the most surprising cuts that I've seen in the past couple of years, just because, you know, the guy's going to be 29 by the start of the season. Um, Pro Bowler the last three years, he's in a contract year, so it's not like, you know, he's playing for significant amount of money. Usually contract years are the player's best seasons. Um, they did draft Cesar Ruiz uh, in the first round this year. Um, they saved $7 million in cap. I I get why they made the move, like from a business perspective, but from a football perspective, that's just, that's rough for me. I just, I think he's going to be highly, highly sought after. I know the Bears have, you know, pushed their interest out there for all to see. This is just, this is intriguing to say the least. It's something. Ah, uh, um, I have, yeah, I, I was super weird. I saw it on Twitter and uh, I saw it because a lot of people were adding the Jets, telling them that they should pick him up. And I was like, oh, who's this guy? Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that's. It's always one of those weird things um, because, especially with, with the offensive line, it's one of those positions that there never seems to be enough players at. So when you have someone who's even like mildly valuable. Mm hmm hanging on to them just usually seems like your best bet. So clearly the saints feel some type of way for some type of reason. Um, how, how soon do you think before he ends up on a new team? Uh, I think it's one of those things where since it was post draft, he pretty much has a whole lot of time, especially without off season training camps going on right now to, I mean, he has the time to listen to all these offers and just wait for the best deal. It's not like he's going to have his stock decline in any significant way between now and when we actually start having training camps. So he can take his time. I think teams are going to be quick to jump on getting the offers to him. Um, so it's hard to put a time frame out there, but you know, everyone who has the cap room to sign him are going to be putting offers out there because... He's one of the top guards in the league right now. All right. Uh, yeah. Interested to see what happens. Uh, uh, I I want the Jets to get him so that we own every offensive lineman in football, and 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 we can't lose. Oh man, the Jets need to put some serious money towards him and sign him to a a good deal because they need it. They need it. The Jets, the Dolphins, the Bears, all these guys need a uh, need some. Big time help interior line, so he uh, he's definitely going to make a lot of money this off season. Good for him. Um, any, uh, any other stories float around the NFL? There really is only one other story that's worth discussing, uh, and that's uh, that's Earl Thomas. Oh my God, that's right! I forgot about this. <laughs> Holy just, shit! I don't even know what to say about this. So for those of you who have either been living under a rock or have parental controls set on Twitter or something, um, Earl Thomas 
he was found in bed with a woman that was not his wife by his wife and his brother also happened to be naked in bed with them so here so, hold on hold on i read yeah. the story i want to try to try to get it all right so earl thomas's wife had found via um stalking or moving through his credit card information i don't know how she had access to it previously or whatever that she saw some charges that she thought indicated that earl thomas was cheating on her so what she did was she got two of her female friends to lure earl thomas and his brother back to a place that uh i forget he rented or she rented someone one of the two of them had rented with earl thomas's money right Mm-hmm. And then went to confront him uh, because it was supposed to be a trap. But then she found out that he wasn't that they were both in different rooms in bed with the with her friends that she was just using to get him back there, fucking. So she sneaks up on him, points his gun, a loaded gun, in a video with the safety off at his head, and like starts threatening him and like saying a bunch of shit. And then he starts to try to calm her down, and then it leads to a struggle for the gun. And then someone calls the police, and when the police show up, uh, Earl Thomas has the gun because he got it away from his wife, who is chasing him around this building with a knife (laughs) as he is trying to get her to calm down, and she does not. Um, Wow. So he wasn't in the same bed as his bro? No, they were in different rooms. Well, that's just the most disappointing thing I've heard all day. Yeah, so Nina Thomas was arrested April 13th. So this is almost uh, a, a month ago now. Uh, charged with first-degree felony burglary of a residence with intent to commit aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. That's some serious prison time. You know what's hilarious is that um, the Ravens are aware of the situation, but Thomas did not notify them of the incident. <laughs> How do you tell your boss that? How do you not tell your boss that? Like, like, really? Especially in the NFL, man. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's one of those things where I could see it either being something he is trying to desperately hide from anyone else, or this is the shit where, like, he sends out a text, like, you will not believe what just happened. Yeah. Oh, man. When the police arrived at 3.41 a.m., they found Nina Thomas with a knife chasing Earl, who had the gun. Oh, my God. I cannot wait for the 30 for 30 on this. Um, I just, I wish we had, I wish people were focusing on, the, focusing on this more. Like, it's a big story, but, like, it's kind of fallen by the wayside for some reason. It feels like, I, a, key, it feels like a key and peel sketch. Right. Like, I wish this was the focus of everyone just everyone Ugh. it it's tough because the reason earl thomas didn't tell his team about it and the reason he even talked about it in general is because he found out that tmz already had the the footage and mm. and the reason he didn't tell his team about it is because he was like i want to just try to keep my personal life personal and it's on the one hand it's like i get that but <laughs> this <Big> is hilarious <laughs> and uh i don't care who it's happening to this is this is a ridiculous story. So, because it's not even just like, oh man, NFL's player uh, gets mad finding out that he cheated on her. Like the way that this gets detailed from like 
the ESPN article I read reads mm-hmm. like an actual Key and Peel sketch. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> oh man, it's crazy. Apparently, like he doesn't seem like he's going to get in any trouble though, as well he shouldn't because it didn't seem like he did anything wrong. So I guess that's good. Well, I mean, legally he didn't do anything wrong. Morally, well, yeah, there's yeah. some issues there. Yeah. Yeah, he you know he might be paying. Ah, actually, if she gets arrested, does he still have to pay alimony? I. It's one of those things where he did cheat on her, so I feel like there's some legal room there for her to be able to get money. But at the same time, I feel like that's like I don't know the specific laws surrounding alimony. I've never had to deal with it, but I feel like attempting to murder that man that you're trying to get money from is a pretty significant way to make sure you don't actually ever get money from him. Yeah. Uh, Nina Thomas, you fucking idiot. (laughs) Oh, well. Oh God. This is, this is just so great. Horrible for those involved, but great for people that aren't. I can't wait for the, uh, the Netflix making of a murderer about this. (laughs) Uh, any other NFL stories floating around out there? Uh, some free agency stuff with people that are uninteresting and unimportant. All right. Then we'll call that it for, for news stuff. So I suppose um, I do have a few queries. I thought I would share with you from the world of baseball reference as a reminder of how much we miss <laughs> baseball. Uh, but then that might interest them to be in it. You know, it's, it's a quiet one. That's okay. You know, we're not going to force anything on you. We're not going to sit here to make an hour just to make an hour. That's how that's how it is in these in these times, my friend. Mm-hmm. So uh, let me ask you this, Corwin: Who do you? What team do you think has the longest streak of not being shut out? Or sorry, no hit. I should say not being no hit. What team do you think has the longest streak of not being no hit? And how many games do you think that is? Like in history or active? In history. I feel like it's gotta be the Yankees. Right? Like that's just such a an easy guess to make. Uh and you said games? Yes. Uh two hundred and seventy-five. Alright, so two hundred and seventy-five um wouldn't even scratch the top one hundred. Um what? The Yankees Yes, the Yankees ha- do have a streak in the top 10. They're number eight, uh, and that streak is 5,027 games. What? Going from nine, uh, September 21st, 1958 to July 8th, 1990. Without going without a hit. Without being no hit. Holy shit. I, the, okay, you have my undivided attention. Keep going. The team with the <laughs> longest streak of getting at least one hit um, in in baseball history is the Chicago Cubs. 7,920 games going from September 10th, 1965 to July 24th, 2015. What? How? How? I had no idea. What? Seven 
thousand games. Damn near eight thousand. Yeah. I I am speechless. I am. I, I I'm here a team batting streak finder, and my current search is longest streak with hits greater than or equal to one from 1904 to 2019. The second longest streak, um, Cincinnati Reds, two seven thousand one hundred nine games um, from nine from from June twenty fourth, nineteen seventy one to April twentieth, twenty sixteen. Uh, but yeah, the Cubs went almost, almost, almost like a month and a half from going fifty years without being no hit. I, I, I am just, I can't even wrap my head around this. Like this, it happens every now and again, but I truly cannot even wrap my head around this. It, I, yep, no, I'm done. And really, just to make this even more confounding upon you, you know what team's sitting at the third longest streak in history? Is it the Pirates? It's the Pirates. 6,541 games. The streak started on August 15th of 1971. Do you know when it ended? 2015. uh, 2012. September 27th, 2012. Right as we got good. Ain't that some shit? And you know what's crazy? In Pirates fashion, um, oh, actually, no, there's two teams. Oh, no. All right, it's actually, hold on. This is actually interesting because I, I thought I, it was one. Th- All right, so the Cubs in those damn near 8,000 games, winning record or losing record? Uh, losing record. Losing record. 4,118 losses to three 3,792 wins. So not, not they, great. They're still the Cubs, you know? The Reds. In the, their 7,100 games, winning record or losing record? I'll say losing record. No, this one's a winning record. 36-65 to 34-38. Pirates, winning record or losing record? Losing record. Uh, lo- losing record. Uh, 31-48 to 33-88. Uh, then fourth is the St. Louis Cardinals um, from uh, May 13th, 1919 to... September 23rd, 1959, 63,000, sorry, 6,313 games, winning record or losing record? Uh, I'll say winning record. The cards. Well, yeah, winning record. It's the Cardinals. 34.75 to 27.89. And the fifth longest streak in Bird. baseball history. No, the Royals. Uh, May 16th, 1973 to May 18th, 2008, 5,550 games, winning record or losing record? Are the Brewers in the top 10? The Brewers are not in the top 10. Wow. So four of the five NL Central teams have like 50-year streaks of not being no-hit. And then the Brewers are just sinking that really cool stat. Uh, At the same time, though, the Brewers are the most recent of the teams. Um, Yeah. Real quick, though, the the sixth... (laughs) Just to keep moving down this list. The number six team... um, for a longest streak is also the Cubs. Really? With uh, 5,413 games. Yeah, from from May 3rd, 1917 to June 18th, 1952, they were not shut out. And then their next streak of not being shut out started in 1965. So they really they really cover a lot of ground here. Yeah, the Cubs, 
super good at just not being uh sorry, not being no hit. At just not being no hit. That's crazy. I I still just am at a loss for how this is a reality. Like I yeah. just, I feel like that's I get like that no hitters are not common, but at the same time I feel like well, I guess they are really uncommon. That's the thing. They're not. They're not that uncommon. There's been like two hundred of them. Right, but I guess they I, just all happen to like the Padres and the Mets. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Uh, for reference, the Brewers' longest streak of thirty-one hundred forty-two games puts them at thirty-second. That is as where they land. <laughs> Brewers, okay, yeah, thirty-second below, <laughs> below the Montreal Expos. The Detroit Tigers are below a lot of bad teams. The Philadelphia Athletics. Oh, no, friends. Uh, So, yeah, that's that. I thought you'd get a kick out of that. I did. I definitely did. Um, So I have, I was telling Corwin, I ran some of these queries like a while ago. And one of them is I have up the page for Hank Majeski, and I have no idea why. Uh, But... he was a third and second baseman for um, the uh, looks like Philadelphia Athletics here in his profile. Uh, he played for the Boston Bees. Oh, of course, the Boston Bees. Very familiar with them. Yep. Then the Boston Braves. Then the Yankees. The Philadelphia Athletics. The White Sox. Um, the Philadelphia Athletics again, and the Indians and the Orioles. Um, and I have these two dates highlighted. I have no idea why I did this. Um, I I literally couldn't even tell you why I have these things open. So I'm just gonna just gonna move past it. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, an, an, a, this was a pitching streak. I looked up the longest streak of hits equal, for a pitcher. Um, hits allowed being zero, walks allowed being zero. And strikeouts being five with no innings pitched requirement. So you had to have an appearance in a game, consecutive games, in which you allowed no hits, allowed no walks, and made five strikeouts. Do you have any idea what the longest streak for this might be? Um, hmm. Five? No, I feel like that's going to be way too low. Um, I'll say 15 games. So I too was expecting this to be a high number. It is two. Two? Two. No hits, no walks. And, and five, five strikeouts. Strikeout. Well, I yeah. Guess, I, yeah, I mean, that's a no hitter. That's nearly a perfect game, depending on how you look at it. Well, I'm going to stop you there because, uh, not necessarily. Because the two guys who have done it are relief pitchers. Which, again, I guess makes more sense. Because, yeah, only five strikeouts to go along with those stats. It's because, you know, the longer you're in a game, the more likely you are to let up a hit or a walk. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the same time, though, you need to be in the game for, like, a little while to get five strikeouts. You need to be in there for at least two innings. So you need to have that middle ground. and what's interesting is the relief pitchers are from pretty drastically different times in, in baseball. So the first pitcher to have done it is Ron Davis. He did it in uh, 1981 
on May 3rd and May 4th. Um, Ron Davis, a career 4.8 war pitcher with a career 4.05 ERA, spent most of his career with the Yankees and Twins, also playing for the Cubs, Dodgers, and Giants. Played for a long time. Uh, so that's him. Oh, sorry. And he played from uh, 1978 to 1988. And then the other player to have done this was good old Yusmero Petit, um, who did it in 2014 on August 19th and his next appearance on August 23rd. So four days later, because I guess they just didn't need him then or was no, he wasn't starting at this point. Was he 2014? He was with the San Francisco Giants pitched 117 innings. I guess he yeah, he was a starter at this point. Oh, so uh, okay. Interesting. Interesting. Oh right. Oh no, he was a half starter, half closer. So all right, so he played in 39 games. He started 12, but he finished 14, but he has no saves. So that's a confusing stat line. And he has a complete game. This is a bizarre season of pitching. Um, anyway, the other ones use Mero Petit and, uh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> oh, that's just, a, that's just a fascinating, hold on 24. That's so weird because like the next year, right. In 2015, all right, so hold on. I'm going to start 2013, 2013 use Mero Petit played in eight games, started seven of them, uh, and had a complete game shut out in one of them. He must have gotten hurt because he only pitched 48 innings that season in his uh, in his eight games. So, you know, whatever. He had a good year. He had a complete game shutout. Seven starts. That's a, you know, he had a, a 3.56 ERA. That's good. And then in 2014, he's 29. 39 games, 12 starts, 14 games finished, which means relief appearances at the end of the game. But no saves, which is also super weird. And another complete game. He threw 117 innings, his career high. And then in 2015, he plays in 42 games, has one more start, and then finishes 15 games and actually gets one save because his first career save. So I guess over those three years, he transitioned from being starter to reliever and um, is. Uh, now at the back end of the bullpen, but the fact that he finished, how do you finish 14 games and get no saves while having that low of an ER? That's so perplexing, isn't it? I mean, do we know that he was used as a closer and not just a setup guy? Well, that's the thing. Games finished means that you threw the final pitch. Yeah. That's Maybe they so just weird. used them in low leverage opportunities. I guess so. But isn't that a weird three years? Yeah, that's not exactly uh, normal. Or, yeah, that's fucking weird. I'll agree with you. Ismero Petit's baseball reference page is so fascinating. He pitched from 2006 to 2009 and then was just gone for three years and then reappeared with the Giants in 2012. And for one game, and then has been like a steady member of a baseball team since 2013. Here's his games pitched uh, or games played. I don't know how you want to call it by year, starting in 2006 15, 14, 19, 23, 
and then three years missing from the majors. So then 2012, he plays in one game. 2013, eight games. And then 39, 42, 36, 60, 74, and then 80 games as a pitcher, which led the American League in Oakland in 2019. Yeah, I mean, I feel like if you look through all of baseball reference, you're never going to like stop finding guys like this that just have the weirdest careers that you've just absolutely never heard of. I, I actually know who Yusmer Petit is too. That's what makes it so weird. Is like I just I just guess I just didn't know he was like I don't know missing from baseball for a while. Or I also wasn't paying attention to the Giants who he when is, he did but, this. You know. Oh, he's a he's a reliable relief pitcher. Yeah. He's always there. Um. Anyway. I also have up uh, all the players who hit uh, a lot of home runs in one game. Um, four home runs in one game was done 16 times. I feel like we went over this already at some point. Scooter. That's right. Scooter Jeanette, the second most recent player to do it. Who was the most recent? Who? Uh, who hit four home runs last year? It was, the, it was the same season as Scooter Jeanette, actually. So 2017. Okay. Who else hit four home runs that year? Is it somebody I'm going to be like, oh, I should have known that? Or is it oh, like... Oh, 100%. Shit. Uh, Bartolo Colon. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> uh, I don't know. J.D. Martinez. Uh... He did it in Arizona after he got traded away from Detroit. Everyone was like, oh my God, J.D. Martinez. And then he signed that monster contract with Boston that offseason. And here we are. Yeah. Uh, so the 16 players to have done it, J.D. Martinez, Scooter Jeanette, Josh Hamilton, Carlos Delgado. Damn. Don't remember him as a player That's, at that all. That is not a name I've heard in a very long time. Sean Green, Mike Cameron, Mark Witten, Bob Horner, Mike Schmidt, Willie Mays, Rocky Calavito, Joe Adcock, Gil Hodges, Pat Seary, Chuck Klein, and the first player to ever do it, 1932 on June 3rd for the Yankees. Lou Gehrig. Damn. Damn. Yeah, there it is. There Damn. it is. Twice on that ass like Graham. Sorry. I uh, hate you for that. Um, I expect that. All right, Corwin. Final final query I have. Um, most innings pitched in one game. Most innings pitched in a game. Uh, yeah. Is it something ridiculous? Oh, yeah. It's outrageous. Uh, 23. 26. Damn. <laughs> 26. And it's a tie because both dudes who are pitching the game both threw 26 innings and it ended in a tie, a one to one tie. They both got complete games. Leon Kadori and Joe Oishker <laughs> for the uh, Brooklyn Dodgers and the, I think it's Boston Braves, each threw on May 1st, 1920, which like must have been opening day back then, both threw 26 inning complete games. That I feel like at that point, that's just the manager's egos going back and forth. Just like, I'm not pulling my fucking pitcher. You pull your fucking pitcher. No, I'm not, I'm not pulling, pulling my, my pitcher. pitcher. You pull your pitcher. 
So Leon Leon Kadori's line, 26 innings pitched, 15 hits allowed, one run, which was earned, five walks, seven strikeouts uh, for a game score of 140, which is uh, rather high. Uh, and then Leon, Joe, Joe Oishker, which is just a fucking guess. Oishker, I don't know. 26 innings, nine hits, one run, which was earned, four walks, and seven strikeouts for a game score of 153, which is also pretty fucking high. At this point, it was the Brooklyn Robins against the Boston Braves. Um, and again, this is the stupidest pitching line ever. Mm-hmm. I, oh, I, yeah, I can't even fathom that. Um, I feel like knowing the era, these guys pitch the next day. Uh, all right, so let, 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 let's let's find out. What do they know? Do they know things? Let's find out. Leon Kadori, I'm going to look up his uh, 1920 pitcher's log, and like, let's see when his next outing was. Corwin's guess is next day, um, which honestly isn't a bad guess because it's 1920. Um, so he pitched. Where's the dates? Okay, so this was not opening day. This is actually his fourth appearance. Um, he had pitched three prior day uh, games, um, but they were not all in consecutive days. His next appearance after this May 1st outing was on May 9th. So he got eight days rest in between. Um, his previous three outings was a complete game 9-2 win against Philadelphia, a complete game shutout against um, Boston again, uh, and then a complete game loss uh against oh no a game start that's it so uh he got pulled from that one a loss against the giants um so he had pitched nine innings in his first game 11 innings in his second game six innings in his third game and then 26 innings in his fourth game he had uh, a few other starts over nine innings here he had a 10 inning start or performance i guess in his eighth outing of the year um several Actually, that's the last one, uh, but he had many complete games. This was hilarious. This is just hilarious. Uh, yeah. Ain't that some shit? They just... A tie! They just gave up! <laughs> I don't blame them! Yeah, I don't really blame them either. Um, I f- like, were they a lot more common back in the day? Ties? I I I think they were uh, more common in like the era just previous to this one. When like you couldn't just sit around for rain delays, like you just kind of had to go home. Touche. So, I want to say not as common with this era, but if you told me that they still did happen here, I mean, obviously this one did, so they must have been. But damn, I mean, can you imagine being a fan? When would you leave? What ending would you leave? Oh, for man. reference, the first run of the game was scored by the Brooklyn Robins in the fifth inning. And then the second run of the game was scored by the Boston Braves in the sixth inning. I would have to say I would like to have stayed until the end of the game. In reality, I probably would have left when... I don't know. I honestly can't even say. All right, hold on. I got the what's got to be the craziest fact about this game in front of me. You ready? Yeah. The game lasted... Three hours and fifty minutes. No, it didn't. Yes, it did. <laughs> no, it didn't. 
that's not even that long. <laughs> that has to be a data entry issue that, where <laughs> that it's like it's thirteen. That's like hours. a half an hour longer than like a normal baseball game today. <laughs> that's not fucking possible, Josh. That's not it's even not. that long. <laughs> You can't have 26 innings in three hours. Three hours and 50 minutes. Uh, oh, my God. So that's it's 230 minutes, right? If my math yeah. is correct. Yeah. So that means that each inning took up 8.8 minutes, which is not that long. I just. This would be an this would be a fine game to sit through. This is a normal day at a baseball park. That's now. what I would expect to sit through if I bought tickets to go to a baseball game. Yes, this seriously, this is just a game with like good offense today. Like if you get a game with like a decent amount of run scoring, it will go three hours and fifty minutes. Oh my god, I'm that's just, insane! I'm almost annoyed at this point. <laughs> yeah, right. That it took that little time. And we have to sit through the games that we sit through now. It's just rude. Wow. How about that? Three hours and 50 minutes. Fucking whatever, man. Oh, man. I I can't get over it. I might never actually get over it. Wow. You might actually never what? Get over it. Oh, man. Um, The second... The second most innings pitched in a game. <laughs> 24 by Jack Coombs tied with Joe Harris because, again, they did it against each other. <laughs> uh, in 1906, on September 1st, Joe, Jack Coombs of the Philadelphia Athletics pitched a 24-inning uh, complete game against the Boston Red Sox and Joe Harris, uh, ultimately winning 4-1. to one. Which means that that twenty fourth inning must have been a wild one. It's been a real doozy. Um, real there's n- doozy. Sorry. How many games? All right. Oh, man, I'm trying to think of a good way of putting this. So when I put this in, I was kind of expecting it to be like sixteen or so, mm-hmm. right? So sixteen innings will put you at seventy three. Wait, what? If you pitch 16 innings, which I would have thought would have been like near the top of this list, you would be 73rd on this list of people who pitched a lot of innings in one day. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, How many? 18 innings. 18 innings was pitched a whole bunch of times. It was pitched eight times. Eight eight people pitched 18 innings in one day. And that's just 18.0. That's not even 18.1. Or 18.2? 18.0. Yes, that is how math works. Like, that's just... It's just so many innings. I wonder who's the most... What the most recent performance is on this list. We're going to find that out for you. For the people. Which for the... Uh, uh, 1978. What's yours? Sure. I'll do 1979 just to fuck with you. And you would win because it was 1980. Uh... <laughs> So in 1980, there were two different 14-inning complete games, which is hilarious. Yeah, All of them were Oakland? (laughs) Wait, there were four complete games pitched. All of them were for Oakland. What? Uh, What? (laughs) Okay, hold on. 
Hold on. And there were all, all four were different people. So hold on. So May 17th, 1980, Matt Q, K-E-O-U-G-H, which is just not a name. Matt Q, uh, May 17th, 1980, pitching for Oakland against Toronto, pitched a 14-inning complete game win, 4-2. to two. Um, Final line, 14 innings pitched, five hits, two runs, one of which was earned, two, six walks, eight strikeouts. Um, U-E-R? Oh, unearned runs allowed. No one cares about that. No home runs allowed. Okay. And then the next month, these all happened in consecutive months. Uh, Mike Norris, on June 11th, 1980, pitching for Oakland against Baltimore, pitches a 14-inning complete game win against uh, against Baltimore, winning 6-2, to 14 innings pitched, 12 hits allowed, two runs, both of which were earned, two walks, five strikeouts, one home run allowed. Then on July 20th, Mike Langford, pitching for Oakland against Cleveland, Complete game win six to five, a uh, fourteen fourteen innings, eight hits, five runs, four allowed, four earned. Sorry, uh, one walk, four strikeouts, one home run allowed, and then finally the next month, Steve McCaddy pitching again for Oakland against Seattle, the fourth different opponent, uh, can, pitches a fourteen inning complete game loss, one to two. 14 innings, six hits, two runs, both of which were earned, four walks, eight strikeouts, one home run allowed. Holy shit. I that that's some Billy Bean baseball right there. Uh, uh, man, uh, what are the odds? <laughs> um I I don't have that number in front of me, but I have to imagine it's uh, incredibly small. All right. The odds that there were four different, uh, that there were four 14 inning complete games in the same year already seems, the odds seem pretty low. Yeah. The fact that it was four different pitchers, I think might actually make it lower because then you're assuming that there's four, that there's four different pitchers capable of doing it, um, physically and who have the clout with their managers that they would let them do it. And that's asking a lot, even in the 80s. And sure. then, you have the fact that they're all on the same team just makes it more perplexing. This is hilarious. The only thing I could imagine that would make it even more astronomical is if it was games one and two of a doubleheader. Oh my God. That'd be, that'd be beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. So when I saw that there were four, I assumed that this was like what we had seen in the, in the, uh, the earlier part of this query that I ran where it was like, uh, you know, like one of them is one pitcher from one team and the other one's the other pitcher from the other team. But no, all four. It's just because I saw Oakland so many times. Mm-hmm. But no, the, Oakland did it every time. <laughs> all right. Do you think Oakland was good that season or bad? Uh, I'll go with bad. Well, it's 1980 and they won the World Series in. Oh, I don't remember when that was now. Fuck. Um, they finished that year 83 and 79 second place in the AL West. Yeah, so okay. They were like going for a playoff spot. Um I don't know, it's just I yeah, I got nothing to say there. 
I have no anecdotes to make on that. Them being like three games over 500. So their starting rotation was Rick Langford, Mike Norris, Matt Kuhn, um, Steve McCaddy, and Brian Kingman. All four of the first of the of the uh, all the top four guys were the guys involved in these fourteen inning uh, complete games. Holy shit! I, I man, I guess I just keep forgetting how much more common complete games were. Um, how many complete games do you think these five guys had between the five of them uh, this season? How many? How many? What was that? Can you repeat that? Yeah, sorry, that was a. Uh, Big chunk of words. Um, how many complete games do you think the Oakland Athletics top five in rotation through this season? Um, I'm going to go wild and say four. And those are <laughs> only four complete games. So you, uh, you would be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, the answer is 93. Holy shit. Yeah, Jack Holy Langford. Shit. Jack Langford threw twenty eight. Mike Norris threw twenty four. Matt Coog threw twenty. Steve McCaddy threw eleven. Brian Kingman threw ten. And if we throw in closer Bob Lacey, they get another one <laughs> because apparently he he started he started one game that season and it was a complete game shutout. Are you fucking serious? All right, baseball just doesn't make any fucking sense. This is stupid as shit. <laughs> um, all right. Wow. Could you imagine you're like the closer for a team? You're really good. Everyone knows you're really good, but it's like, ah, he can't start anymore. And then they're like, ah, Bob, we we need you to start a game. He goes, all right, I got it, but I want to close it too. All right, Bob. Complete game fucking shutout. <laughs> Fuck that. That's stupid as shit. A, a, a 2.94 ERA for the season. God damn. So that's 94 complete. So out of out of their out of their games, out of their 162 games, 94 of them were complete games. And they still lost 79 games. What's the point of having relievers at that point? Oh man, I don't even know. Holy shit. This is just astonishing. <laughs> Oh man, I love baseball. This makes this is making me sad. Is it sad because it's not the Yankees? No, it's making me sad because there's not actual baseball to, to watch right now. Touche. Right, like I, I've been playing a lot of my uh, my little tap sports baseball game on my phone because it's a it's a thing to do and it's baseball. And every time I open the app and look at all the players and the stats, I feel sad. <laughs> That's all I have. Yeah, I feel like this is a pretty decent spot to wrap up. Fair enough. Uh, all right. Well, if you want to uh, follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at JuicingPod. If you want to hit us up via email, you can do so at JuicingTheNumbers at gmail.com. We announced our movie picks already. Just as a reminder for uh, this Thursday's episode, Corwin's pick is Do the Right Thing, the Spike Lee movie, and mine is 1982's The Thing. So definitely check out both of those before the episode. And until Thursday, y'all have a good one. Bye.